I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to people of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're talking about a pivotal chapter in the struggle of post-emancipation Jamaica, the day when a black Baptist preacher and activist led a revolt against colonial oppression and set his people on a path to true freedom. The day was October 11th, 1865. Paul Bogle led hundreds of black Jamaican protesters in the Morant Bay Rebellion. On their way to the town courthouse, they were confronted by the British colonial militia, who quickly opened fire on the crowd. Seven protesters fell dead in an instant, setting off a days-long battle between roughly 300 rural peasants and an army of colonial soldiers. Martial law was declared two days into the fighting, and by the time the dust had settled in early November, nearly 500 people, including Paul Bogle, were dead. The animosity that led to the rebellion and its brutal suppression was decades in the making. Although slavery had technically been abolished in the British West Indies since 1838, Jamaica's economic and judicial systems continued to primarily benefit the former enslavers. As a result, many black Jamaicans wound up working low-wage apprenticeships in the sugar fields of their former masters. Those who tried to buck the system and make their own way found themselves targeted by the Jamaican Colonial Assembly, which imposed harsh penalties for the trumped-up crimes of vagrancy and squatting. Although that assembly had been elected by a black majority, the property requirements for candidates ensured that only the wealthiest black or mixed-race Jamaicans could actually have a voice in government. By and large, it was still the rich, white plantation owners who called the shots, and they made sure the opportunities for advancement among the formerly enslaved were few and far between. 
That said, Jamaica's black estate workers and peasants weren't resigned to their fate. Instead, they organized and held local protests, calling for more equitable treatment and voting rights. The island's native Baptist churches were a driving force behind these movements. They had been started by black refugees of the American Revolution, and the gospel they preached was a mixture of African cultural practices and Christian tradition. The teachings were more radical than those of mainland Baptists and were tailored specifically to the needs and concerns of Jamaica's black poor. Paul Bogle was the deacon of such a church in Stony Gut, a village in the parish of St. Thomas in the East, not far from Morant Bay. A former slave turned successful farmer and landowner, Bogle had been given his appointment by George William Gordon, a black Jamaican politician and fellow Baptist, who believed that a church in Stony Gut would help foster the growing political movement. To that end, Bogle opened his chapel to religious and political meetings, many of which focused on how to put an end to legal discrimination and economic oppression on the island. In April of 1865, six months before the rebellion, the workers of a different parish were discussing the same concerns. They ultimately petitioned Queen Victoria to address their grievances, expressing their, quote, great want at this moment from the bad state of our island soon after we became free subjects. They outlined the ways in which colonial authorities had thwarted their efforts to achieve independence, and the governor of Jamaica, Edward Eyer, begrudgingly passed along their petition. The queen's response was about as charitable as you'd expect. She said that the workers' prosperity hinged entirely on how hard they worked to make the plantations profitable. The implication was that it was their own fault if they were unhappy with their wages, conditions, or treatment. They simply needed to redouble their efforts, and then their labor would be rewarded. The Queen's advice was circulated throughout the colony, making it crystal clear that the British monarch had no intention of improving their lot. So in August of that year, Bogle and his followers took matters into their own hands by marching 50 miles to Morant Bay to meet with Governor Eyre. They had hoped to present their complaints face to face, but were instead turned away upon arrival. The estate workers' attempts at diplomacy were failing fast, so two months later, they tried a different approach. In early October, a few days before the rebellion, a British colonial magistrate had tried to arrest Bogle and several others for protesting the settlement of a land dispute. The effort failed, thanks to the intervention of Bogle's followers. But when calls for his arrest continued in the following days, the preacher decided to face his accusers head-on. On October 11th, he marched on the Morant Bay Courthouse with a crowd of about 300 rural peasants, some of whom were armed with sticks, cutlasses, and a few firearms. The colonial militia was waiting for them out front and when several in the crowd began throwing stones at them, the militia responded by opening fire. Enraged by this escalation, the protesters fought back, eventually killing more than a dozen militia members and setting fire to the courthouse. The following morning, John Davidson, a magistrate in the east of Jamaica, sent a letter to Governor Eyre, apprising him of the situation. The people at Morant Bay, he wrote, have risen, burnt down the courthouse, released all the prisoners, and murdered several white people. Eyre responded swiftly, sending hundreds of troops to the parish within a matter of hours. 
Then, on October 13th, he declared martial law for the entire eastern end of the island. Emboldened by this proclamation, Ayr's troops set about suppressing the rebellion with extreme prejudice. Over the next several weeks, they publicly flogged 600 civilians, torched more than a thousand homes, and put to death 469 black Jamaicans. Paul Bogle himself was among the casualties, having been caught and hanged alongside his brother Moses on October 24, 1865. One day earlier, his patron and mentor, George William Gordon, had been executed as well, despite having not been involved in the rebellion. In fact, Gordon wasn't even on the east coast of Jamaica at the time, but since he too had agitated on behalf of oppressed Jamaicans, Governor Eyre had him arrested, transported there, and hanged in a flagrant act of military despotism. The governor's brutal response to what had started as a small-scale protest drew the ire of many abolitionists, lawyers, and other public figures back in Britain. Their outrage forced the hand of the British government, and in January of 1866, a royal commission was dispatched from London to investigate the rebellion and the extra-legal killing of George William Gordon. Five months later, the committee delivered its findings, and Governor Eyre was removed from office, though he was never convicted of a crime. After the rebellion, Jamaica became a crown colony and was thereafter governed directly from England. The African-Jamaican struggle for autonomy would continue for another century, but finally, in 1962, the island became an independent nation. Not long after, both Paul Bogle and George William Gordon were declared national heroes of Jamaica. Their faces now adorn the country's currency, and their lives and legacies are celebrated nationwide. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to drop me a line at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.